Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. From, I'm joining you from the worldwide headquarters here in Durham where all is calm after the storm. Aaron, what's the weather I like out in uh, SoCal? Uh, a little bit gray as usual in the morning and tends to tends to clear up in the afternoon around here. So I, th- I think we're approaching May gray, they call it. Oh, really? Does that have anything yeah. to do with the uh, with smog or is that just the, uh, the clouds no, and the rainy season? Even rain is just every every morning, I guess it's in May, it gets gray and then it clears up. I think it has something to do with uh, some geographic phenomenon with Catalina Island and the mountains or, or some such nonsense. I don't, I don't know. I think that is nonsense. I think it's some such nonsense. But we're going to talk about nothing that's nonsensical today on the Baseball America podcast, only a college baseball fact and try to separate some of our college baseball facts from fiction. But uh, enter- uh, another entertaining week uh, as the season is now nine weeks old, Aaron. And we have a new number one this week. And we have a new uh, number three team that's rocketing up the charts, a very familiar face coming back into the poll at the ba- at the back of the rankings Let's start right up at the top where our number one team last week, Vanderbilt, goes on the road for four games. A uh, pretty nice week of uh, games for Middle Tennessee State, by the way. I, didn't, I don't think we talked about that, but they played four ranked teams this week uh, in Vanderbilt and Troy, and there are a lot of zeros on the board. But Vanderbilt goes on the road at South Carolina and loses that series, first series loss of the year for the Commodores. So South Carolina, Aaron, has one series against two number one teams this year. Now we're going to have to research that and find out the last time that happened. But they've won series against both Florida and Vanderbilt, and yet South Carolina is not number one in our rankings. It's Virginia this week that uh, ascends to the number one spot, and that was a, a very contentious number one debate. Yeah, it was, you know, and, and uh, uh, a lot of strong feelings on both sides. I actually sent out a couple of tweets last night asking uh, who people thought should be number one, and it was, you know, it was as divided as you'd expect. I mean, there's the, uh, probably more South Carolina fans who are vocal, uh, <laughs> who follow me on Twitter than Virginia fans, because I heard a lot from from the Gamecock fans who thought it was pretty simple. You beat number one twice, you should be number one. Um, it's not that simple, you know. I mean, these teams both have great resumes. Um, you know, South Carolina having one series against Florida and and Vanderbilt, impressive. You know, you you, you cannot. For me, I mean, you, you, know, you can't downplay that, and I think that trumps uh, Virginia's best series, which are two out of three, and then home against Florida State, two out of three. Hey Aaron, we just, um, we just lost it. But lost those are you both really bit. quality series, too. Lost you a little bit there for the uh, with the Grays. So say that point again about uh, South Carolina's top two series compared to Virginia's. I mean, I think I think it trumps Virginia's top two series uh, at Georgia Tech and versus Florida State at home. Um, but those are both two quality series also. You know, they're, they're not teams to, to scoff at by any means. And uh, uh, and Virginia, you know, you have to look at their body of work. They are 36-3. and three. Um, You know, that's a 923 winning percentage compared to South Carolina's 800 winning percentage. Now, you know, is the SEC better than the ACC? Yes, I think it is. It's deeper uh, for sure. But uh, South Carolina's schedule as a whole isn't really more impressive than Virginia's. 
I mean, Virginia, they both played Clemson. Virginia swept three at Clemson, and South Carolina took two out of three at three different sites against Clemson. I mean, South Carolina has losses here and there against teams like Cal State Bakersfield and the Citadel. And I mean, Virginia just doesn't have any hiccups. You know, they had to be rewarded. And one point that I thought you made in our meeting that, that was kind of persuasive to me is this. Is it more impressive to win 36 out of 39 games against Virginia's schedule or, or to go four and two against Florida and, and Vanderbilt, two comparable teams to South Carolina, um, you know, and, and, and be 27 and, and eight overall? I mean, I think it's close, but, but right. we, we ended up the team that went five, five and oh last week didn't get jumped by the team that went two and two last week, even though it was a very good two and two week. Yeah, I think South Carolina would have been number one if it uh, had swept that Vanderbilt series. And maybe that's setting the bar too high. <laughs> that's not, you know, but these things just don't happen in a vacuum. And that's what, you know, fans, when you ask them who you think should be ranked, well, you know, which we also did on Facebook. I'm sure we could do on Twitter at Baseball America, um, as you did at Aaron Fit. Um, I, uh, I, I think that they, you know, it's very easy to just look at this week, you know, and there's sometimes where I think when you're doing the rankings, uh, when, when we, when we were doing the rankings, Aaron, sometimes it's very difficult to not get just caught up in what just happened and to try to help look at the whole body of work. I think the further away you get from number one, the more you kind of ride the hot hand, but at number one, when you're talking about this, we try to look at the whole body of work. Because what happened this week, there's no way you would jump South Carolina over Virginia, in my opinion. You're not jumping them over for, like you said, going two and two, no matter who the two and two is going against. Uh, you know, you just don't jump two and two usually over a team that went five and zero oh and swept the conference series. Although a se- albeit a series where they should have swept Duke, but I mean to me, Virginia, like you said, they have no hiccups. And I think in baseball, it's just very, very difficult to go 36 and three, no matter who you're playing. And they've played a pretty good schedule, and you know, loss is a loss, uh, but their three losses are by a combined four runs. Uh, they're all on Sundays. Uh, there really has been nothing that Virginia has done poorly all season long. and There's very little that South Carolina has done poorly, but um, I would be proud to have South Carolina as our number one team. I'm, I'm just as proud to have Virginia as our number one team, and I think South Carolina is the best number two team we've had in a long time. And It'll be fun to do that research and try to find the last time any team one two series against top ranked teams because uh, I really can't remember that happening. I think uh, you know we you, you look at the entire body of work and there's just not a lot separating these two clubs. Uh, and uh, Virginia was ahead going into the week. Uh, I don't think pole mechanics are the answer necessarily for why Virginia's number one. I think 36 and three is really more the answer. And and it's not just 36 and three. It's seven and two against top 25 teams. And it's just they, they've dominated 11 shutouts. It's a very resounding. 36 and three season. So uh, South Carolina, probably the best number two team we've ever had. Uh, at least not now ever, but the best number two team I can remember in mid season, the best resume for a number two team. Right. And then you're talking about Oregon state at number three, Aaron. I don't think Oregon state's resume is a whole lot different from South Carolina's. They don't have those signature series of the teams they beat having been number one at the time, but Oregon state is red hot. And then going on the road to Stanford, which we dropped out of the rankings. Stanford had been 17th, a very difficult team to assess in terms of they've played a lot of tough series, Aaron. But Stanford came into the weekend three and three out of their six weekend series. And now you have uh, Oregon State going into Stanford and sweeping the series. I don't think any of us was prepared necessarily or expecting that to happen. But the Beavers are uh, really on fire and uh, doing it 
despite the loss of Andrew Susak, their uh, you know all America midseason All America catcher, if I can use that nomenclature. Yeah, I mean it's so impressive to me. Uh, you know, <laughs> what can you say to sweep Arizona State and Stanford back to back without? your best offensive player. Uh, I wasn't sure how Oregon State was going to respond to the loss of Susak. And, you know, even in last week's mailbag question, I kind of tackled that question of who's the team to beat in the Pac-10 now. And, and it looked like it set up very well for Oregon State schedule-wise because they were 5-1, and one, having already played two of the stronger teams in the league, Arizona on the road and then Arizona State. Uh, and and uh, in the first series, Arizona State w- was without Susak. And they swept it anyway, but but I thought long term, I don't know. I mean, can they sustain this? Right. He's their best player. You know, he's their, their really their biggest power threat by far. Uh, it, it's like you take you know take uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. or Christian Walker out of out of the South Carolina lineup, except you know if you take take one of those guys out, you still have the other guy. You know, Oregon right. State doesn't doesn't really have another All American caliber player in that lineup. Right. So so anyway, it, it's it's very impressive. I mean. You know, they they just I, I was talking with a, a scout this weekend, John, about Oregon State, and um, he wasn't surprised by their success. And, and he actually said that he thinks Pat Casey is the best coach on the West Coast, uh, which he certainly has a case for. You know, he's on he's on the short list and he might be the best coach, but he's he, the, the way this team plays so hard and, and has not quit at all, um, you know, with, without Susack. I mean, they just kept on rolling um, the way. They've, they've, they've put their pitching together. I mean, they haven't had Adam Duke. He might be the best arm on the staff, the freshman. Uh, he's, he's been hurt all year, you know, and that hasn't slowed him down either. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's, it is amazing. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's nothing cheap about what they've done. I mean, those last three weeks are, are – you're talking about resounding? That, that's resounding. And you've written about Sam Gaviglio. He was in the Golden Spike Spotlight that we do in conjunction with USA Baseball as part of your uh, weekly Three Strikes column that's on Monday's college blog. So we know they have a legit Friday guy, an experienced guy. He doesn't have maybe big-time pro stuff, but he's a very good college pitcher. We've written about Josh Osich because he's a big draft guy, a power left-hander, the Idaho kid, redshirt junior, Tommy John, coming off that. There are other names that, that we recognize that we've talked about, but their bullpen, Aaron, just seems so deep. Uh, with Matt Boyd, who's been outstanding, but now this weekend you have Tony Bryant, uh, Twins draftee, six foot seven sophomore, getting a couple of saves on Friday and Sunday. Uh, so they don't just have one guy like they had a couple of years ago, where Kevin Roderick was expected to be their closer, or in their championship years where it was Kevin Gunderson, uh, or now a you know, big league Rule Five guy like Joe Patterson, Daniel Turpin. Um, so that their bullpen has just wave after wave of guys. Can you tell us a little bit about Matt Boyd and Tony Bryant and? And what makes uh, this Oregon State bullpen so good? You know, Bryant was was really a big-time guy a couple of years ago. I think I was a junior in high school, uh, if I recall. And, uh, you know, he, if, if, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, um, he was hurt or something as a senior, and he just kind of fell off a little bit. But uh, now he's he's back, and, he's boy, he's making an impact. I mean, you, you know, you said it. He's a six foot seven guy. He's a tough angle. Um, and, and he attacks hitters. He's having a great year back there. And, and Matt Boyd uh, – you know that, that's that's the thing about this this unit is they you know they've got a lot of different looks. I mean Boyd is a, is a tough left-hander, a lot of funk, um, you know, and and, and Ben Wetzler's kind of similar. He's a he's a strike throwing lefty. Uh, both those guys came up big this weekend in the bullpen, um, you know, and and they haven't had uh, they haven't had uh, Taylor Starr. I mean, that's another guy, you know, who's got a really, really good arm. Who's made one appearance this year. Uh, that's crazy. Wait till they get, till they get the full strength. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty impressive. 
It really is impressive. And so I'm, I'm going to guess that now uh, while UCLA did, uh, you know, you got a chance to see UCLA this weekend. You saw Trevor Bauer pitch very well. While uh, UCLA was your pick last week in the Pac-10, uh, do you, are, are you switching that pick to the Beavs now? I'm going to guess you are. I think you have to at this point. You know, they're <laughs> they're 8-1 and one in the league, and, and they still have the easiest teams, I mean, left to play. You know, they still have Washington. Uh, they still have USC, which clearly is not a pushover at this point, we can say. I mean, they've won back-to-back series now. Um, I've, I've seen USC each of the last two Fridays, and they've gotten beaten by Stanford and Oregon, and then they've come back to win the next two games. So, But, but still, that's a team that, that um, Oregon State should beat. Um, you know, I mean, I think the schedule opens up for them. I, I do still like UCLA. I still like Arizona State. I mean, Cal. I mean, all, any one of those four teams for me, I think those four teams um, – it's still a pretty open race, you know, but uh, it's, it's a good group of four teams. No doubt about it. It's the Baseball America podcast with John Manuel and Aaron Fitt. Aaron's the guy dropping the knowledge. I'm just the guy trying to keep the train moving along. Uh, Aaron, the other, you know, Vanderbilt and Florida slot back in uh, after the Beavs uh, in, the, in our top, uh, you know, at four and five. Um, I guess the other story kind of in our top ten from last week was North Carolina, switching gears a little bit to the ACC. But the Tar Heels have been red hot. 30-5, and five, off to the best start, and tied for the best start in school history. And now they uh, go uh, after a big midweek win against uh, East Carolina, kind of a rivalry game, a game that East Carolina takes very seriously. Tar Heels go to NC State, which had lost four straight games, 18-16 and 16 overall. And NC State owns the Tar Heels. Two close wins on Friday and Saturday. And Saturday's game, kind of a surreal affair because the game was scheduled for 6.30, and they started on time after tornadoes sweep through the Raleigh area and, you know, in downtown Raleigh, it was kind of devastated. There's a lot of you know places in downtown Raleigh that aren't going to have power for three or four days. Shaw University, a Division II school there, has canceled the rest of its semester of school because of power issues and the damage on their campus. Uh, but NC State and North Carolina still get the game in. And, uh, you know, NC State clinches the series on Saturday with another hard-fought victory. And then just blows North Carolina out on Sunday when the Tar Heels have been struggling pitching wise. So, um, what does this say for the ACC? To, does this almost make Virginia stand out even a little bit more from the ACC crowd? And uh, does NC State just win its way into back into the regional conversation? They're back into the regional conversation for sure. Because last week, you know, as we broke down in stock report, I thought they were kind of dead in the water. I mean, they, they weren't close to having a regional resume last week and now you know like you said they're back in the conversation they still have work to do but uh boy that's a big sweep for nc state and and it's pretty stunning for north carolina you know i mean a team that had been like like you said 30 and 5 um they didn't have an immediate hangover after florida state they came back on tuesday and and, uh beat east carolina you know tough east carolina team in midweek game uh and then this weekend you lose two one one games and then you don't compete on sunday i mean they just got Blown out of the water on Sunday, ten to two. Um, it's 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 surprising. I think they need to you know reevaluate some things. I, I don't know. I mean, how how seriously can you take this for a team that, that had been so consistent all year long? Um, I think. It's, that, go ahead. I, I just think it's a tough team to figure out. You know, I mean, they all year long they played maybe above what we expected from them. Certainly. Um, are they coming back to earth, or is this just a, a speed bump? Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I think I, I think they played a little bit over their heads all year, and uh, I think what you're seeing right now is that uh, the the biggest question I think we had about North Carolina was its its starting pitching. Um, 
certainly uh, we had some questions about their offense after losing Brian Goodwin, but their starting pitching has just been at such a high level the last few years. And the fact they didn't have a stud at the front of that rotation, I think was a big question mark. And now this weekend you had, uh, you know, Patrick Johnson, who'd been so good on Fridays for them, not get out of the fifth inning. Uh, you know, he gets the loss on Friday. Then you had the freshman Kent Emanuel, who's been very good, but was better midweek. It's, it's been a little bit more of a grind for him in conference. Uh, he gets the lead. He didn't get, didn't, didn't get out of the second inning on Saturday and Sunday. They just, you know, they, they've, it's been a puzzle for them all, all year. Um, you know, North Carolina State, I think I, I seem to remember that in the preseason, uh, trying to argue that I thought that NC State would be better than North Carolina this year. And I think I've, you did. Yeah. And I've certainly been proven wrong on that all year long. Uh, I don't know if NC State can sustain it. It'll be interesting if they finally give uh, the senior Rob Chamro, who's a Temple transfer, he's been pretty good for them for two years. They don't seem like they want to have him pitch important games. He started Sunday and uh, got the win. He's 5-0 and now. Um but NC State seems like it's figuring out some things pitching-wise. I do think NC State can rally and make regionals. I still also think, though, that North Carolina, even with this sweep, Aaron, can still be even a top-eight national seed because the rest yeah. of the schedule lines up okay for them. They've got, but the, the next weekend is huge for them. I'm going to stay in the ACC for a minute because North Carolina plays Miami next weekend. We did not really have a great option, I don't believe, in our top 25 for number 25. We wound up ranking the Miami Hurricanes who are 13-4 and four in the ACC, back in our ranking, the preseason number 18, I believe. Uh, Miami has not fared well against top 25 teams, Aaron. Hasn't fared well against great teams, but they're beating the bad teams. And at 24-12, and 13-4 in the ACC, they come back into the rankings. Um, Miami's at North Carolina next weekend. Does North Carolina, being a little bit cold, uh, give Miami a shot to, to steal that series on the road, or do you think North Carolina is the prohibitive favorite there? Um, you know, it, it's, I think North Carolina is the favorite. I mean, I don't know that it's prohibitive. I think those right. teams are pretty comparable, you know I mean? Um, I think North Carolina certainly is a better offensive team and that's, that's borne itself out at this point. Uh, but, uh, I think they're, they're pretty comparable pitching wise. Um, somebody's trying to get in touch with me here. I apologize that sounds like it. for the That's delay. okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, North Carolina is pretty comparable, um, pitching wise with Miami. I think, you know, both, neither of these rotations has a, uh, shut down, like you said, they don't have a Matt Harvey or or an Alex White, you know, a big time arm. I think Miami can pitch with North Carolina. The question is, can they hit? Um, I, I think, you know, I mean, I expect North Carolina to win that series at home, but um, I don't think it's a gimme by any means. I, I don't think it's a surprise that Miami has a, a, a command and control left-hander who's there at the front of the rotation right now. Yeah. Uh, Brian or the Radzewski, is that how you pronounce his name? Radzewski, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure either. We're not gonna. We don't want to butcher the young man's name, but he's been consistent for them. He's now taken over the Friday role. It's like uh, inheriting the inheriting the mantle of Chris Hernandez, Eric Erickson, obviously J.D. Ardiaga. That's what J.D. did. Now he's the pitching coach there. Um, and of course they have, uh, as I want to say on the podcast, uh, they like uh, you know they like their power arms out of the bullpen. I like that the Sunday matchup in that. Uh, series wound up being EJ Encinosa, who's the power arm out of last year's bullpen, uh, and Chuck Gissels, or Gissels, the guy who's the big recruit for Maryland, who's worked into their weekend rotation. But, you know, you can move Encinosa into the rotation when you have Danny Miranda at the back of the bullpen. And uh, to me, the advantage of the back of the bullpen still goes to Miami in that series with North Carolina, because Danny Miranda is very consistent. He's been pretty good for two years now, that Miami bullpen. So uh, that's a series where it seems like the winner of that series has a very good shot at being that fourth ACC team is going to host a regional, Virginia, Georgia Tech, 
and then probably Florida State, although the Seminoles have, have fallen back a little bit here. And do, do you read it that way? Or maybe maybe it's the inside track to be the, the third regional host out of the ACC. Yeah, I, mean, I still think North Carolina is, like you said, I think they're still in very good shape to host a regional and, and still certainly in, in the national seed discussion. I mean, I don't think one weekend um, can, can undo, you know, 30 and 5 and a series win at Florida State. Um, so, you know, for me, I mean, I look at Miami's resume and, and they don't have a series win yet against a, a likely regional team. I mean, their best series win is, is a sweep against NC State, uh, which is a very much a fringe regional team right now, even after this weekend. So um, for me, Miami has a lot more work to do. Uh, but uh, this weekend would be uh, would certainly change things a little bit. I think you could maybe put Miami uh, uh, back into position to host. I mean, right now, I think they're kind of competing with Stetson for, for a hosting spot. And Stetson has a much better record against the top 50. Um, you know, I think there's something like 12 and two against the, the top 100, whereas I mean Miami is is like 0 and six against the top 25. So wow, um, it's there's there's some work for Miami to do. No doubt, uh, Aaron. Let's move on to the Big 12 conference uh, because it seems like there's a, started to be a little bit of a shift in the Big 12. Uh, the big one of the biggest series of the weekend uh, was the Bedlam series, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Um, really about as good of a rivalry series as there is in the country. I think South Carolina and Clemson have maybe passed it a little bit just because South Carolina won a national title, and both teams have been a little bit higher profile nationally of late than Oklahoma and Oklahoma State have. Uh, but, you know, obviously the Sooners were in Omaha last year. The Cowboys, you know, were last place in the Big 12 last year, but they're starting to stir up the echoes of past uh, Cowboys teams. Uh, and, and then they go and, and win the Bedlam Series this weekend. And Oklahoma State now with a pretty gaudy record of 27-9, and nine, uh, overall record just as good as anyone in the Big 12, t- same record as Texas, uh, moving up in our rankings to number 16. And at 10-5, and five, they're only one game back of Texas and Texas A&M, uh, which are both top 10 teams in our rankings. Let's talk a little bit about the Cowboys. I think we touched on them last weekend, Aaron, but uh, what's got the Cowboys in position to get back into regional play number one and uh, you know to have them win that series for the first time in three years against the Oklahoma, their big rival? You know, they did it with their bats this weekend. You know, it's it's been pitching for them has, I think, been the key to their resurgence. They're much better on the mound than they had been the last two years. Um, you know, the rotation with Brad Props and Mike Strong and, 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 and less, to a lesser extent, Andrew Haney has been, has been pretty strong. Uh, I like their bullpen a lot. You know, I mean, they've got some power arms back there. Uh, Chris Marlowe has been, has been outstanding for them. Uh, he's shown really good stuff. You know, he's got a, maybe one of the more one of the best curveballs probably in college baseball. Uh, and he can run his fastball up in the mid-90s. And uh, he, uh, he shut down Oklahoma in, in Friday's win. Um, and then, uh, you know, they've got Randy McCurry back there now. I mean, that's it's a nice one-two punch. Um, so I, I think they've got a good bullpen uh, and good starting pitching. But this weekend, they, they hit. You know, they really did. Um, Zach Johnson's come on pretty strong for them. Um, they've got a bunch of, you know, nice veteran college guys like, like Johnson and Davis Durant. And uh, Mark Ginther's has had a good year for them, and, and Dane Phillips. Uh, all these guys have a little bit of pop, you know. I mean, it's uh, this team has 26 home runs. That's a decent amount for college baseball nowadays. So, um, you know, Oklahoma State uh, is is for real. They're certainly a regional team, and, and right now, I think they've probably passed Oklahoma on the, on the pecking order to host the regional. Sure seems that way. And I, I guess for, for Oklahoma, Aaron, uh, you expressed this worry earlier in the year when Ryan Duke was kind of struggling out of their bullpen and that after Michael Rocha, who didn't last past the fifth inning, their, their pitching was starting to look a little suspect. They've moved Bobby Shore kind of into a middle relief role and uh, Burt Smith, their big recruit, uh, no longer in the weekend rotation. He's out of the bullpen. 
No, he's he did actually pitch. He started Saturday. Oh, uh, who was it who relieved on Sunday on Friday then for them? Was that him? <laughs> I thought that he, I thought that he relieved on Friday. Um, no, no I'm sorry, that was Bobby Shore. Shore on Friday. Shore who who relieved both Friday and Sunday. I got their names mixed up, but they it seemed like their pitching is just a little unsettled and to blow that lead. Uh, so I think it's kind of a t- tells you a little bit about the series. First of all, you had 24, 25,000 people in attendance for the weekend. Second of all, that you had uh, such swings on the, on the on the final game with a seven-run eighth for Oklahoma State, and then Oklahoma battling right back. But it seems like Oklahoma. You mentioned out of the Big 12 teams, they're the least pitching in defense out of those teams. And now you look at their series for the year; they're four, three, and one. They've won four series, but they've lost three and have another. They split with two games with Missouri. Oklahoma just hasn't quite been as good as we thought they'd be this year. It seems like that's because they're not necessarily built for the bats. Yeah, I mean, coming into the year, I wondered about that a little bit, you know, because they, uh, uh, like you said, I mean, they, they seem like a team that's more geared toward uh, toward offense than, than pitching and defense. And, you know, they, they pit, they've pitched well at times. I mean, Michael Rocha has generally pitched very well all right. year. Uh, he did, uh, did not pitch great this past weekend. But, um, you know, and, and they've gotten flashes from Birch Smith. He's been... He certainly is great stuff. You know, his, his stuff has been as good as advertised, and he's he's made he's trying to still make the adjustment, I think, to D1, but he's done pretty well. Uh, it's a decent one-two punch, and then they've just had some instability there with some other roles. Like you said, moving Bobby Shore around, moving Dylan Overton to different spots. He started on Sunday. Uh, I, I think it's actually encouraging that Shore seemed to pitch better this weekend. I mean, in, in both those games, I think he allowed a total of two runs over six and two-thirds. That's not bad. You know, they need him. He, he's a key guy for them. Um, but, uh, you know, you talk to, to scouts in that area and they'll tell you that they expected Oklahoma to maybe be, um, maybe be the best team in the league coming into the year. And, and, you know, it's, they've been a little disappointing. They, they, uh, they haven't put all together yet. And, uh, you know, they, they blew a, they blew a big lead, um, on Sunday, you know, they allowed seven runs in the eighth inning that really speaks to the bullpen issues that you're talking about ryan duke was was really the uh, the guy i got hit hard there so um it sounds like uh, they just don't have a, a shutdown guy at the back of the bullpen the way that oklahoma state does with marlo although marlo got hit on sunday too right so. yeah marlo's got 50, <laughs> marlo's got crazy numbers i mean he taught 57 strikeouts and 34 innings but you know personal cheese ball of mine uh, andrew Hegg got the win in that game yeah. out of the bullpen only his seventh appearance of the year but i just think i'm gonna guess that andrew Heck at Duquesne in his first three years or in the Jayhawk league, didn't experience anything like a uh, mm. Sunday Bedlam series game where you come in and the ten- you're coming in to pitch the 10th inning. Oklahoma's put up five runs in the last two innings to tie this game at 10 apiece. And you're asked to go out there and shut things down. And to Andrew Heck's yeah. credit, he did it, but I don't think he got any uh, ex- preparation for that. in the Atlantic 10 conference, uh, put it that yeah. way. And, and- and you know the the problem, I guess, the concern with Marlow is is that I've heard is he's not terribly physical, and that maybe he doesn't bounce back very well. And you know he threw three three plus innings, I think, on Friday. Uh, maybe coming back on Sunday, he just wasn't wasn't prepared for that. So that's uh, might be a little bit of a concern for Oklahoma State. But that's why it's good that they've got Andrew Heck, they've got Randy McCurry, and Gabe Widenar back there. Right. Uh, they've got they've got more options than Oklahoma has. And the rest of the Big 12, Aaron, I still think Oklahoma is the number four team as far as getting a regional bid. But is there who's the, who's in the catbird seat for a fifth regional bid from the Big 12? Is it Nebraska? Is it Texas Tech? Because, boy, Baylor scuffling, barely over 500. Uh, K-State struggling in the league. Kansas overall resume not that hot, barely 500. Uh, 
is this a league that's in danger of only having four regional teams? It might be. Um, I still suspect it'll get a fifth, and, and I think it'll be Baylor still because I, I think their RPI is in pretty good shape. But, boy, I mean, they're like you said, they're 20-17 and 17 overall. Uh, they've been very inconsistent up and down. Um, you know, it, they've lost now three straight weekend series. Um, tough team to get a read on. I mean, again, you talk about a team like Oklahoma that's been a little disappointing. Baylor's been more than just a little disappointing because I thought that uh, I thought that this was a year where they could maybe put put it together a little bit. Um, but think, uh, once again, they're disappointing. I think the thing with Baylor is that it sounded like they were an athletic team, a good pitching team with athleticism that we thought that would should translate to some success in a pitching and defense oriented season. And instead, uh, they just keep losing series. I've lost conference series at Texas Tech, at Kansas, home to Texas, now Texas A&M. Uh, the one, uh, I guess, the, the good thing for them is now they get Missouri. <laughs> they better sweep. Uh, they better kick the Tigers while the Tigers are down. But it does not get easier for them. They finish the season at Nebraska, at Oklahoma State, home to Oklahoma. Um, that's not looking good for the Bears. Uh, let's Now, talking about Nebraska, Aaron, you're headed out to Nebraska later this, this afternoon. You'll be flying out to Omaha, debut of the new TD Ameritrade Stadium. You'll be there for Nebraska and Creighton. Let's talk about those two teams. Nebraska, uh, you know, obviously only four and seven, I believe, in Big 12 play. Nebraska seems like it's got an outside shot at being that, maybe that fifth uh, regional team. Maybe it's not an outside shot. Maybe it's a good shot. Uh, how, you know, where do you rate Nebraska's chances and uh, I don't know if you know uh, who you're going to see midweek there and, uh, when Nebraska uh, matches up with Creighton, but what are you looking for for Nebraska in that game and the rest of the season? Well, you know, Nebraska is another one of those teams that uh, um, has been a little bit up and down. There's been a lot of that going around. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's, and that's another thing. Is I, think it's, I think it's harder maybe to be consistent with these, with these new bats that people are still adjusting to. That's why it's so impressive that Virginia is 36-3. and three, But Agreed. that's uh, – it's another aside, but yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think Nebraska, um, I still think the strength of this team is, is, is it's pitching, you know, and, and that's, that's the, the kind of identity that they have. And, um, you know, they, they, they've, that's why when, when they, they've, they've lost series, they lost Oklahoma state, they have a lot of runs and that was a little bit of a concern. They lost series to Texas tech. They have 10 runs on Saturday. Um, you know, it's that, that to me is a little bit of a surprise. I mean, I'm not sure how good Nebraska is at this point. Um, I think the remaining schedule is very difficult with Oklahoma, Baylor, Texas, and then Texas A&M the next four weeks. Um, my gut says it's probably not going to wind up as a regional team like like we thought it would be heading into the year. Yeah, and it looks like you're going to get Tyler Niederklein, which is a great name, uh, sophomore right-hander. He seems like he's their midweek guy. He's been pretty steady there. But if you're watching that, that game is on TV on CBS College. Yeah. I guess actually it's now called the CBS Sports Network. Um, you can look for Kyrie Cooper, uh, who plays football. There was a fifth-round pick at a high school by the uh, Angels. Um, you know, he's an interesting – if you're a prospect watcher, Kyrie Cooper is interesting to watch. But Cody Ash is yeah. the, the best player there. I mean, this is a guy who's uh, – I don't know that he's Alex Gordon, which kudos to Alex Gordon, by the way, off to a great start in the big leagues. Uh, hopefully, you know, finally figuring things out at the big league level because I, I think we'd like to see good things for Alex Gordon. But Cody Ash, Aaron, is slugging 660. He's got 18 doubles and nine home runs. Uh, tell us a little bit about Cody Ash. Uh, it seems like he's the really the the guy who makes his offense go for Nebraska. Yeah, Ash, he's a good player and he's he's a, he's a good prospect too. He was uh, pretty high on our pro, our uh, North Woods League list last year. Um, he's got legit power. You know, but not 
not just because he has nine home runs. I mean, he showed some power with Wood Bats last year, too, in the North Woods. Um, he's, he's a corner infielder who uh, uh, can hit and has power potential, and I think he's got a chance to go. You know, he's a top five rounds guy, I think, for sure, I, I think. I mean, he's... Uh, He's 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 legit. So you know, I think I think uh, Nebraska. The thing I'm worried about tomorrow night, John, is the weather. Uh, the forecast looks uh, very dicey with some rain in the mix. So I hope we get that game that. in. Don't I say know. that. I know it's awful. That is that's brutal. Come on now, we need that game to to get played, or else uh, this brilliant idea of shipping you halfway across the country doesn't work. Yeah. Especially because if you get rained out and go to the drover, man, I'm going to be really mad. <laughs> that's really going to stink. Um, but like you said, I mean, he was in the Northwoods League All Star game last year. Where do we rank him in our uh, in, in that list? And, he, and it is Ashy, as you pronounce. It. He was the number four prospect in the uh, Northwoods League, so that's that's pretty good. And in Creighton, uh, the Blue Jays. We did not rank the Blue Jays this week, but an impressive start for Creighton in the Missouri Valley Conference, going on the road to win series at Illinois State and Indiana State. Illinois State kind of was the favorite in the league coming into the year. They still have to go to Wichita. Um, but talk a little bit about, about Creighton, uh, just how good is Creighton? Do we have a good feel for how good the Blue Jays are and, and, uh, you know, what's been their strength this year? You know, it's, it's hard to know quite how good they are because they haven't played a very strong schedule. They're, they're 26 and seven, you know, and we like that consistency. Uh, but, uh, you know, their, their non-conference was soft. Um, you know, maybe some of the teams that you expected would be good on their schedule, have not been really, you know, New Mexico has struggled. Uh, Arkansas State is below 500. You know, it's Portland we thought was going to be a good series. Um, they're they're 10, 12 and 20 now, you know, so I, we don't, until you play somebody who's really good, it's it's hard to know how good Creighton is. But I do I do know this, they, they, they can pick it, and that's what they do. That's the identity of this program is, is year in, year out. They're one of the best defensive teams in college baseball, and they're fielding at a 980 clip this year um, once again. So, you know, they're, they're a very good defensive team. They don't beat themselves. They're so well coached. You know how much regard we have for Ed Service and his staff over there. No doubt. Uh, and they have and they have a, a power arm guy on Friday in Ty Block. Uh, you know, so that's that's a good place to start. It is a good place to start, and uh, it does look the people in Omaha. It's 42 degrees in Omaha as we record this. So you're headed into some weather that's not uh, Southern California. Forget the, forget the gray. You know, you're headed into – uh, the gloaming almost. So, uh, good luck. I hope the I hope the weather holds up for you. Uh, last thing I want to talk about in the podcast and our with our college top twenty five, Aaron, um, was was a little bit of draft stuff cause just because you uh, you saw two of the top college pitchers in the country coming into the year in uh, Matt Perk and Trevor Bauer. You, it's all on your Twitter feed if people want to go back and read it at Aaron Fit on Twitter. Um, but kind of compare and contrast a little bit of Bauer and Perk. I mean. It would, Matt Perk is how you draw it up. I mean, their, their contrast could not be more different. You know, the tall left-hander. I don't know if you'd say a great pitcher's build because he's very skinny uh, and a little bit of a low slot. He's always been a low slot guy. But here's a Matt Perk, a guy who, you know, uh, first-round pick at a high school. Trevor Bauer doesn't even go through the draft at a high school. Skips his high school. You know, graduates a semester early so he can enroll early at UCLA. So he's never even been through the draft. A uh, guy, Matt Perk who's really, I think it's fair to say, has been handled with care this year. Uh, he's been uh, tight pitch counts, tightly regulated uh, pitching outings, um, you know, and pitching at TCU. You know, uh, their, their schedule, they're all over the country in their conference just by just by nature and plays pitching against some pretty good teams. UCLA, their schedule actually hasn't been that great, even in the Pac-10. 
and they generally have stuck to Southern California, even when they play on the road. Uh, you know, Matt Perk is pitching like 85 to 100 pitches a game. Trevor Bauer doesn't get going until he gets to 85 or 100 <laughs> pitches a game. Uh, Bauer's like, you know, four to six inches shorter than Perk. Completely different deliveries. Um, I think Matt Perk is the more conventional pick, but Trevor Bauer is just lapping him this year, isn't he? He's not even close. You know, I mean, Trevor Bauer, I think, I really believe is going to go in the top five picks of this draft. And and Matt Perk, you know, at this point, if the draft were today, he's not a first rounder because he uh, didn't look good this weekend. And, uh, you know, I mean, he came out strong. He was 90-91 in the first, touched the 92 or 93 in the second. And, and you thought maybe he's starting to find his groove a little bit here. And then just a precipitous drop-off for no apparent reason in the third. Uh, he came out sitting 88 in the third inning, and then in, in the fourth, he was down to 84 to 86. Um, you know, the slider, which was very good the first two innings when he got five strikeouts, uh, became slurvy, and, you know, his stuff just wasn't as good. He competed. You know, Matt Perk always competes, but um, there's red flags, and, and a lot of people, scouts, you know, you ask them what's going on with this guy. They they scratch their heads and they can only speculate that he's got to be hurt. And and TCU says they've had the arm checked out. Everybody's looked at it. There's no nothing structural that they can find. It's just a dead arm deal. Uh, whatever it is, you know he's not going to be cheap to sign. I mean he turned down um, a, a pretty significant offer at a high school, as we yeah, all he, know. Yeah, he turned down slot is what he ended up turning down. Two point three million dollars. Right. Yeah, right. so so he turned that down. And was is believed, you know, if Nolan Ryan is to be believed, and I think he is, uh, they had an agreement for six million dollars that MLB did not approve. So uh, that's a pretty good source for that, you know. In my mind, I've seen people question us writing that. Our source is Nolan Ryan, and our, you know, it wasn't an exclusive. It's you know, he was talking to season ticket holders. But I think the biggest concerns for me with Perk are a, like you wrote about that, uh, you wrote about the, the velocity decreasing. That's usually an arm speed thing. It seems like he's lost a little arm arm speed. And when the velocity decreases over the course of innings, that's usually a fatigue thing. And like he talked about, he dropped his arm slot. That happens when you aren't strong enough to maintain your mechanics. And he just doesn't have the strength in his arm this year for whatever reason. And potential, one possible, and I believe plausible explanation for that is, as you wrote on the blog, on the college blog, he didn't pitch last summer, and he didn't throw in the fall. Um, it just seems like he's still being built up, uh, which is, you know, something of a concern. Whereas Trevor Bauer, I think people think that he's overworked. I mean, we've both written about that in the chat or on Twitter how we don't necessarily agree with that. But uh, con- contrast that a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, what, what what are you hearing about the way people are, are? Are any scouts concerned about the way Trevor Bauer's being used? Have you heard any of that? I mean. Or is that just uh, internet, uh, you know, rumor mongering? Or not rumor mongering, but just fear mongering, really? Yeah, I think it's more the latter. You know, I mean, um, it's, it's, you talk to the scouts about them, and, and uh, you know, I don't think there's a lot of concern about it. I really don't. I mean, this guy's stock is on the rise. Nobody's sitting there saying, "Oh my God, he's throwing 130 pitches once a week." I mean, it's pitchers are different, and, and I think scouts, the smart ones, recognize that. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he, he was really good this week. I mean, you know, he wasn't even at his best, but he, uh, he, he was still 91, 93 in the ninth inning. You know, I, I saw him touch a 94, 95 in the middle innings, but, uh, um, boy, the curveball was great. I mean, it's, it's a, it's one of the best curveballs I think in college baseball. It's, 
uh, it's it's a great pitch that he is a tremendous feel for. Um, he's got the slider, he's got the split, the changeup, and now he's got the reverse slider that he you know he he'll throw sometimes. Um, it, it's a it's a great package. He's an incredible competitor. Um, he's going to go high in this draft. Uh, I, I really don't think he'll get out of the top ten, and I think he's got a chance to go in the top five. Um, but and his, uh, I mean, his, his season, Aaron, yeah. dwarfs the season of his own teammate, Garrett Cole. I yeah. mean, he's having a better season. He's not a better prospect necessarily. I don't think he's much worse of a prospect. I think he's closer to Garrett Cole than Garrett Cole is to Steven Strasburg or Mark Pryor or David Price, personally. I'm not, not, I'm not taking anything away from Garrett Cole. But, you know, Garrett Cole just seems like there's, he's prone to having this inning here or there where things just don't go right for him. Yeah. Um, Trevor Bauer, it seems like he always has a strikeout in his back pocket when he needs it. And maybe that's just yep. a function of better command and a deeper repertoire. But uh, the one other concern I wanted to bring up where the stats tell a little bit of the story with Matt Perk. And Matt Perk hit 10 batters last year in 116 games. He's hit eight already this year. And you talked to a scout who talked about his inability to command the fastball glove side, which would be inside to right-handed hitters, correct? That's right. I mean, uh, and, and what was the kind of the gist behind that? Because that, that seems like that's not a now concern. That's a long-term concern. Yeah, that's more of a bigger picture concern. And he thinks the scout I talked to said it is because of his delivery. He doesn't think it allows him to command to that glove side. And, you know, I was looking for that specifically on Saturday. And, and he actually came out of the gates and seemed like he was spotting his fastball okay over the inner half. Those first two innings, we looked okay. He was hitting his spots. He was pitching inside. He was getting the corner. He even had a strikeout where he froze a guy, um, the San Diego State's cleanup hitter, Chris Wilson, on, on a fastball right over that inside part of the plate. But after that, I mean, I, it wasn't there, you know. So I don't know. It's it's uh, he's, he's a mystery right now. But the other guy I saw this weekend, I mean, I, it was a great weekend. I saw Tyler Anderson uh, for Oregon on, on Friday. Yeah, another uh, left-hander. With you know, This draft has a lot of good college left-handers, and that, that's two of them, uh, Perk and, and Anderson. And obviously Jed Bradley at Georgia Tech and Danny Holton at Virginia, uh, the other yeah. guys have gotten a lot of attention this year. And Anderson's going to, I think, go in the first round too. I mean, he was – uh, very good this weekend. Uh, went the distance, you know, complete game, uh, 88 to 91. Good slider, good curveball, good changeup. And uh, uh, he actually didn't quite go the distance. He left in the ninth inning. I, I should correct myself. But, um, you know, people like that guy a lot. He's got some deception to him, and he, he competes as well. Um, and there are fewer question marks with him than there are with, with Matt Perk right now. How did uh, how did Andrew Triggs look in that game? Did he look okay? You know, okay? he – he he's, he competed. I mean, um, the the book on Triggs is he comes out very strong, and then his stuff he doesn't sustain it. You know, he just uh, he, he's more of a shorter stints guy, I think. But um, he you know whenever Oregon threatened, he seemed like he came up with a good pitch. He got some strikeouts with the kind of slurve that he throws. Um, he was okay. And yet uh, USC wins that series. The be- uh, the the Beavers, uh, the the Oregon Ducks. They're going the opposite direction of the uh, of the Beavers. Uh, Oregon is scuffling uh, at two and seven, I believe, in the Pac-10. And uh, how about USC? Is is uh, any chance that Frank Cruz is uh, going to get that job full time? They're they're fifth yeah. in the league. To me, that shouldn't be the the barometer. You know, USC should aim for higher than fifth in the league, and I don't I don't see any way that they go fifth about better than fifth in the league, and they're under 500 overall. But any talk at all that he's uh, yeah, Frank Cruz is earning a shot at keeping that job full time at USC. Yeah, there is. You know, I mean, people like him there. He's he's done a good job making those guys play hard and, and um, 
you know, I think he's certainly going to get a fair shot at that job. It'll be tough, I think, if they they do finish below 500 overall, which right now they're, they're 15 and 20, and they're in the Pac-10, so it's not going to be easy to get back to 500. But, you know, that said, they won series last two weekends that I expected them to lose. So um, they're playing they're playing well right now, and uh, you know, I think I think Frank Cruz will get a shot at that job. Uh, I do expect them though, to try to make a, a big splash with with a big name going to be fascinating to watch, Aaron. Uh, we've gone long on the podcast. We probably better wrap up, unless there was something that uh, you wanted to touch base on before we wrap up. Now that'll do it for me, John. I think that'll do it as well. I, I did want to mention briefly before we go that we did have uh, Kurt Stimson, who commented on our Facebook page. I love Virginia, but I think South Carolina gets the nod. He would have gone South Carolina, Virginia, Vanderbilt, Florida. I think he forgot about the Beavers uh, in there, which we did not. Uh, we ranked Oregon State. But Kurt uh, commenting on Facebook he thought Virginia should have been number one, and uh, I, mean, I, I mean, he thought South Carolina should have been number one, and I'm sure you'll hear from people like-minded from Kurt in mm-hmm. today's uh, Defend the Poll chat, uh, Aaron. So oh, that's going to be a treat. Enjoy that. <laughs> have a safe flight to Omaha, and uh, I hope the weather holds up for you. Thank you, John. All right, for Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next Monday on the Baseball America College Podcast. Until then, so long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.